We, uh, we're continuing our series this morning on As You Are. Uh, we're talking at length about the table, <coughs> excuse me, um, about the table of communion and what God offers to us, <coughs> excuse me, and what we're talking about this morning, the element of the invitation that we're talking about this morning is what's on the menu. Maybe you've, uh, you've seen at a, um, an invitation for a wedding or some sort of celebration or gathering, you can pick uh, generally like um, beef or chicken or vegetarian. Um, that's an element of an invitation that helps you understand sort of what you're expecting. This morning, we want to talk about what's on the menu at this table and what it is, in fact, that we're eating. And uh, this is actually interesting because this, uh, this teaching this morning and this passage that we're in from John chapter 6 is a teaching that, um, in essence, became a big deal in the life of the church and got some people in trouble. Um, eventually, uh, Christianity being um, declared a cult and declared against a, a, a country, against a culture, against an empire. Um, that comes out of this teaching this morning. And so you'll see some of the things that we've had to walk through and gain an understanding as the body of Christ over the centuries. As we gather around God's word and learn more about it this morning, Let's pray God's blessing and presence on our time here. Father, we praise you because you are present. And you are real and tangible. It's not just some um, ethereal thing that we can't grab onto. But Lord, this morning especially as we learn more about this teaching, we, 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 we learn more about how real you are in your presence with us and how it's always, it's continual. It doesn't change and it doesn't go away. Father, moving us, there are people here who need to be reminded of that presence powerfully and clearly. They come seeking hope and they have doubts and they have fears, they have struggles, they have sufferings. And they come seeking your love, your grace, and your presence. Father, provide that powerfully, clearly. May they go from this place knowing that they are loved of God. And for those who come complacent, those who come sort of in the uh, regular stuff of life and even keeled and not too exciting, not too, not too bad, everything's just sort of moving along. Father, meet us in those places too that we might see you are present there and calling us to more. Calling us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And that will grow us and move us to see the world and your kingdom with bigger eyes. And those, Lord, who come here with joy, joy in new relationships, joy in new things, joy in life, joy in the experience of you that they know, meet them as well. And remind them that this is simply a part of your promise promise to be with us always. Lord, may you meet us wherever we might be. Touch our hearts, transform us. We might go from this place encouraged. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Has anyone ever heard of the Donner Party? Now, the Donner Party was marked by one thing. This is a group of people, I don't remember the year, don't know the year, but in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, it was a group of people that were moving from the east, east of the United States to the west, 
And they were taking um, the, the trails that you would take. One of them was the Oregon Trail. Um, I think they took part of the Southern Oregon Trail that you would move uh, with all your belongings and you would, you would basically become the pioneers of the West. And the Donner Party was one of those groups of people who did that, but they ended up starting their trip too late in the season. And so they ended up getting stuck in one of the passes in the mountains between, I think it was Nevada or Oregon and California, not, not, uh, not Oregon, but Nevada or one of those places, there was one of those passes that they got stuck in and they got snowed in. And then they did something and they became something that has indicted them since that time. What did they become? Cannibals, right? They ate the flesh of another person, human being, who had already died, they did that in order to survive. They ate the flesh of another human being. And since that day, whenever someone mentions the Donner Party, you feel like they're, I mean, how could you? How could you have roast arm of Nick? I mean, that just seems like it wouldn't taste that good, first of all. Yeah, and he's like flexing over here, like... Dude, might be high fat content. I'm just saying, all right? Need to watch my cholesterol, so. Um, it's the idea of doing something like that, of feasting on another human being, feels in many ways repulsive. We as a culture actually consider those cultures or tribes that do that, we consider them backward. We consider them barbaric. Guess what, folks? You are a part of a tribe and a culture that was indicted for that for centuries. Being cannibals was actually one of the primary charges that was used against the church in the Roman Empire to declare it a cult and declared outlawed so that Christians would end up being inside um, the arena for the gladiator duels and being feasted on, on, on by lions. The reason that a lot of that happened is because of the charge of cannibalism. And it comes, actually, directly from the text that we're reading this morning, John chapter 6. As we read it, Hear it with those ears of a Roman who doesn't understand what Christianity is all about, but also hear it with ears as a follower of Jesus or someone who's trying to figure out Jesus or questions about Jesus or you're wondering what in this world this whole Christianity thing is all about. Hear what God is speaking to you through the words of Christ and what promises he's making to all of us here today. From John chapter 6, beginning at verse 53. Jesus said to them, and he's speaking to his disciples, but also a group of others who are sort of hanging on, and his disciples want to learn, and Jesus teaches them. You see, he's actually teaching them in a synagogue, which is what he would usually do. But there were always sort of people gathered around the edges who wanted to hear what Jesus was saying. And this becomes, if you keep reading after our text this morning, this becomes a difficult teaching, one that they actually find too much for many. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood 
has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Uh, Hear those words. Those words sound like if you're on the outside looking in, they sound like Donner Party stuff. When we come to the table, Jesus is on the menu. And for the Romans, that certainly became a problem, something that they were repulsed by, like we would be repulsed about hearing about uh, a South American tribe or an African tribe that were to do that as a part of their culture or a historical group of people or a country. We're repulsed by that. And yet, we as followers of Jesus Christ, and the word affirms it, teach exactly that, that we feast here on Jesus. We feast on him. And it changes everything. What is the promise of that verse 50, I think it's 54? It says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. You want eternity. You want a forever relationship with God. You want to live forever in the glory and in the presence of Christ. Come, eat Jesus. Drink Jesus. It's that confrontational. And it's, it's challenging for us to sort of want to think that way. There's some of you who are uncomfortable thinking that way. You don't want to think about the real food. Whether or not this is really Jesus. But what's interesting is that this is exactly what it is. Not only is this f- real food, it's Super food. You know what super food is? Anyone? What's a super food? What's a super food? It's, it's something that's really, really good for you. What are some super foods that we know about? What's that? Broccoli. Broccoli's one. Blueberries is another. What's another one? Spinach. Avocados. Kale. Kale is one of the new ones, right? That's the exciting one. That's the one that you go down to Panera and you get the kale salad. And the whole idea, and by the way, kale tastes horrible, all right? You're going to disagree with me, but I, if they made kale that tasted like Korean barbecue, I'd be down. But until then, I'm not down with kale. Uh, there's a whole lot of history behind that. I can tell you sometime about the stuff my parents fed me as a child. They scarred me for life. I'm still dealing with it to this day. Kale is a food. You eat a salad with kale in it, and a salad that might be made with lettuce doesn't have the same things that a a salad made with kale does. A kale salad, man, that's way higher with vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and all those things that are good for you that I reject completely because I like cheeseburgers. No, it's not true. I do try to eat, and I'm trying to eat healthier, so I should be eating more superfoods. Kale and blueberries. You have a blueberry smoothie, and it's like all of a sudden you're ready to do jumping jacks all day because the energy that it gives you, the good stuff, the healthy things that it brings to you when we come here to the table. We're eating spiritual superfood. The sort of food that gives life and gives eternity But it gives even more to that than that. 
And for us, when we come to the table, one of the challenges that we always have with the table is that this can become a rote experience. By rote, I mean something that in doing it regularly, we forget it doesn't have the depth of meaning that it once had. For us to understand that when we come to the table, when we take bread, when we take juice, that we are feasting on the real food of Christ that has power. It's a superfood for our hearts and our souls that changes our eternity and gives us everything that we need. But the text continues. In verse 55, we hear these words. And listen to them. For my flesh is, what's the word there? Real. Real. There's something real here in this sacrament. And my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. So when you come here to the table and feast on the, what is it, real food, real body, real blood of Christ, then you experience his presence with you always. Now I know what some of you are thinking. And you're right in thinking it. You're asking the question, wait, do we believe that when you take this bread, which you will in a moment, and I'll talk about why this bread is what this bread is in a little bit, but when you take this bread, that when I eat it, I'm really eating the body of Jesus. When I drink the juice, I'm really drinking the blood of Jesus. And I would say to you, yes, but I need to make sure you understand We are not in this church of some traditions that believe that that reality is a physical reality. This doesn't automatically change into Jesus' shoulder or whatever. This is the real spiritual body of Christ. God is spiritually present in a very real and powerful way. And when you take the elements of the bread and the juice, you are feasting on the real spiritual, the real spiritual presence of Christ here in this place. And that is fuel. You've heard me say that before. This is fuel. This real food is fuel for you to go from this place knowing that God is with you. There's the promise. The the promise of God to you is that he is always with you. What does that verse say again? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Take this sacrament once. Take this sacrament once with a heart that longs for the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, that knows the truth, that this is the means by which you have anything, life, hope, purpose, a future, an eternity. If you come to the table experiencing that, then you know the presence of Jesus Christ for all eternity. I will remain in you. That's a promise. Come to the table once and be reminded always. And what's interesting is we forget that, right? You don't know how many times I've sat with people, did it this week again, 
I'm sitting with somebody and they say, I don't feel the presence of God in my life. I felt him once. I knew what he was. I knew what it was like to have him in my heart. I knew what it was like to hear his voice. I knew what it was to feel loved by him, but I don't hear it anymore. And I have to remind them, and I need to be reminded myself, God's promise is that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He says it here and in plenty of other places in the text. Matthew 28, just before Jesus uh, is getting ready for the ascension, he says to them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a reminder that we need to be reminded of, even in those moments. Even in that split second, you don't think God has been with you this week. You haven't felt his love. You haven't felt his grace. You haven't felt his encouragement. You haven't felt his peace. If this has changed your life, if the body and blood of Jesus Christ is known to you and the power of grace is known to you, then I can simply say to you, he was with you the entire time. He never left you. You may not feel him, he may be showing you to, showing himself to you in a different way, but for you and I to say God has left us, if we knew his presence in the beginning, he never leaves us. Be reminded of that in the dark moments. Be reminded of that when the addiction comes knocking again. Be reminded of that when the discouragement is real. Be reminded of that when the pain and the loss and the mourning and the loneliness and the hurt are powerful. When the rejection of a family member or of the pain of of a diagnosis comes. Be reminded that God is real. He remains with you. He is with you even in the darkest of moments when you and I feel the most isolated. God is present because God made a promise he would be and God always keeps his promises. He never breaks them. They're always real. His Body and blood are real spiritual food. Make his presence known and assure us of it for always. Let's continue at verse 57. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This all comes through Jesus. There's no other way to relationship with God. There's no other way to know the presence of God except through Jesus. And it's something that he gives us. This is his action in us. And the teaching continues, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feasts on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue In Capernaum, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What he is saying to us in these verses, specifically in verse 58, is he is saying, yes, I've kept my promise to you. And it's been a promise that has been a long time 
time coming. He always keeps his promises. He kept them in the Old Testament to his people with manna in the desert. If you don't know the story about manna, God's people are wandering in the desert after their exodus from Egypt. And they're hungry and they're grumbling and they're frustrated because there's not enough food for them to eat in the desert. God says, here's their grumbling. He says, I will provide. I will give you what you need each day. I will make my presence known to you. How? Manna. Manna is this special stuff. We know sort of about it, but we don't know what it really is. Why? Because everyone who ever tasted manna is dead. And God is reminding us of that in this text. That manna was God's provision. It was God's presence for those people at that time in a very real way. But all of those people are dead. Feast on Jesus. There's no death. Feast on my real body. My real blood. Feast on me, Jesus says to us experience my nutrition, my superfood for your soul and your heart, and you will never die. For all eternity, I will be with you. It's a forever, ever promise. Hear me here. There is nothing you can do When you receive the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. You're not capable of making God love you, loving you more than he already has. He's given enough love for you through Jesus Christ that it's more than you can ever imagine. And you can never make him love you any less. He has given you in the love and the grace of Jesus enough love to sustain you even if you rebel against him, even if you reject him, even in your anger, your doubt, your fear, your loss of direction, your hopelessness, the pain of whatever it is, God is present. That's a promise of his and it will never change because he always, always keeps his promises. Do you want to be sure of that? Do you want to be sure of that promise? Do you want to be sure? Do you? I remember when I was a kid in that same church where I started cadets. It was a church of about 40, 45 people. Very small, small church. Kempville Christian Reformed Church. You can barely find it on a map anywhere. And I remember we would have communion in that small little church about once a month too. I don't remember because it was such a long time ago. Um, but I think it was about once a month. And I'll never forget communion services, not just because of the elements of the bread and the juice, but because of the pastor. Pastor was a man named Reverend Loss. And I don't know if anyone here ever knows Reverend Loss, but the reason why Reverend Loss was memorable is because Reverend Loss only had one hand. I don't know how he lost his hand, but his left hand was prosthetic. And when you're like an eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, that's like crazy. That's like, oh, look at that. What's, what's that all about? And he would do the, the blessing that I do, the hands raised blessing at the end of the service. And I wouldn't hear a word he says because I would be focused on this prosthetic hand that he had. But I remember because during communion service, He would take that prosthetic hand and he had a couple different ones and he had one with a hook and he had one with a little bit of a claw on it and he had one that looked more or less like a human hand and he would take the elements 
And this is, this is not the official one. This is the practice one. All right, I'll do the official one in a moment. But he would take it, and with a claw and with a hand, he would break the elements. But after he would break, or before he would break the elements, he would say words that stick with me to, through this day. He, he would say, this bread and this juice is a sign and a seal. Does anyone remember those words from communion back in the day? A sign and a seal. And I remember even, you know, even to this day sort of wondering, what does that mean? Sign and seal. A sign and seal. What is that? Bread and juice. Sign and seal. Help me understand. Lord willing, I can help you understand this morning because I think God has opened up that thinking to my mind. And I want to share it with you. We want to be assured of the hope of God, right? We want to be assured of the hope of the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to be assured that heaven is open to us. We want to be assured that eternity is real, right? We want, to, we want the assurance that, that we are going to heaven. How many of you want that assurance? I'm going to tell you how to get it today. How to make it clear today that you and I who... Long to know that assurance can know. We walk from this place. We know that we will be for every eternity in the presence of God, knowing the grace of Christ. Here's how it works. First of all, it works because God does it. God gives us bread. God gives us juice. But this is Christ's real spiritual presence. I've already talked about that. And in a moment, the elders are going to come forward and they're going to offer to you the elements. You're going to have these trays passed around. And you're going to be able to choose whether or not to reach in. Grab bread. It's matzah bread this morning. I'll tell you one in a moment. And juice. Take those elements. And when we eat together, you can eat and you can drink together. You can make that choice. God will be working in you that entire time. And if you make that choice... If you live into that activity, through what God is working on in you, through God calling you to know his grace, if you come to this table longing for Jesus, if you come to this table longing for grace, if you come to this table saying there is no other way to the Father except through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, then these elements, simple things, bread, juice, become signs of and seals of God's love for you in Christ and your salvation is assured. Now this activity is not what saves you. Taking the elements isn't what saved you. It's the activity that God does in you to bring you to this table. And when you take the elements of this table, you take them as signs and seals of his grace and his love for you. You want to be assured that you know the salvation of God in Jesus Christ? Come with glad hearts, longing for Jesus. Take the elements. Your salvation is assured. Because God is real. And God always keeps his promises. What does he say? If you eat my body, to drink my blood, I will remain in you and you in me. This is an assurance. This is a promise. And God always, always, always keeps his promises. This morning we are going to be taking 
together bread that is matzah bread. It's a little bit unusual. In a little while, you're going to see me when I eat with you. It's going to take me a little bit of extra time to get to the juice because this is dry stuff. There's a reason why we're doing it this morning. We're doing it because this text reminds us of God's promise in the Old Testament to his people in the promise of manna, right? That bread, that supernatural bread that showed up in the desert for 40 years that God might show his presence and his love for his people. We can't have manna because we don't know what manna is. We can know generally about some stuff, but we, all the people who ever had it are gone, and the only stuff that was saved was in the Ark of the Covenant, and We don't know where that is either. So we can use this. This is unleavened bread. It's Jewish matzah. If there's a Passover feast, even today, Jews will often use this type of bread as the bread of their Passover meal. And all the things that go along with what unleavened bread is, bread made without yeast, that has its meaning in this bread. We take it this morning, taking the meaning of God, that God has been faithful to his people in the Old Testament, and now in the New, in Jesus Christ, his promises remain the same. And on the night on which he was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples to eat the Passover meal with bread very much like this. And... Beginning of the meal, he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and in their presence that they might see, he broke it. He said, this is my body, given for you. And in the same way, at the end of the meal, or later on in the meal, he took the wine that they were drinking together, and in their presence that he might see, he poured it out. And he says, this is my blood shed for you. And he said, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do so in remembrance of me. But it's not just about remembering. It's about actually taking in God's real food. When you and I receive the elements in a moment, moment from the elders. We engage in that activity of responding to God's grace and movements in our life by taking our hands, reaching into this plate and grabbing a piece of bread, taking our hands, reaching into the plate and taking a little bit of juice. And in that moment, we are responding to the sign and the seal of God's presence in us. If we do so, acknowledging him as our grace and our hope and our life. And our salvation is sure. I will remain in you. And you will remain in me. I want to welcome the elders forward.